Happy New Year, Wounded Healers! How's everybody doing? Whew, okay, we've made it to 2022. Now what? Hmm. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of astrology and political predictions for 2022. And one podcast I was listening to called The Astrology Podcast said that the vibe of 2022 is going to be a lot like 2021, but the good will be even better and the bad will be even worse. <sighs> Yikes. So I don't know. I don't know, y'all. We're still... <laughs> We're still in for a rough ride, but we're going to keep doing the best we can here. And one of the things I wanted to do, I've, I've been doing for several years now, is pulling some cards for the podcast. And I got this new deck. I am absolutely in love with it. It's called the Astral Realms Crystal Oracle. We'll put a, a link for you in the show notes if you want to buy it. But it is one of the most beautiful decks that I have ever seen. So I pulled some cards for the podcast for this year. I pulled five cards with the following themes. So first one is the 2022 theme for the show. Number two, a wish for listeners. Number three, a wish for the guests. Number four, lessons to be learned from the podcast in 2022. And number five, lessons that have already been learned. So the cards that I pulled were totally beautiful and really, I felt, captured the vibe of the podcast and what we've been doing. So the first card, the word on it was cognizance, and there was an emerald stone and the planet Mercury. So with the word cognizance, that really stood out to me here, just knowledge and awareness and connecting that with the planet Mercury, which is the planet of communication. It made me think of cultivating our inner knowing and communicating that clearly. And then emerald is a green stone. And of course, green is connected to the heart chakra, our desire to be loved, to love and to love ourselves. So what I came up with here is may we cultivate our inner knowing from a place of self-love. And that'll be the theme for the show for 2022. And then a wish for listeners, the next card. So the word was clarity. The stone was citrine and the astrological element was the sun. So the word clarity to me always, always means thinking clearly. And the sun in astrology represents the self that we show to the world, our conscious mind and our ego. And then citrine is a stone of abundance and prosperity uh, connected to our third chakra, which is our solar plexus. And it's a sense of self. So putting that all together, may my listeners see themselves clearly with abundance and a positive sense of self. So that's for you. Number three, wish for our guests. So the word on the card was resolve. The stone was desert jasper and the astrological element was Vesta. So when I think of resolve, I think of determination and desert jasper is a stone about action and grounding. And then Vesta is an asteroid actually. And in astrology, Vesta represents hearth and home and the power of our own life force. So for our guests in 2022, may they be grounded and resolute in the power of their life force. Then the fourth card, which was lessons to be learned from the podcast in 2022. This one was so perfect. The word was divine love. The stone was pink amethyst and the astrological element was the soul star chakra. Well, it's not astrological, but it's the chakra system. So the soul star chakra connects us to spirit and our higher selves and is also said to be the seat of the soul. And then pink amethyst is about self-love and healing. So... 
our, our lesson for 2022 is may we learn to deepen the love we have with ourselves and with the divine. And then lastly, lessons that have already been learned. Conviction was the word. The Edaman star was the astrological element and red jasper was the stone. So conviction to me means standing firm in our beliefs. And the Edaman star is in the constellation Draco, which is the dragon, and it's actually the right eye of the dragon. And the star connects to clear sight and mental concentration. And then red jasper as a stone supports our focus and determination. So we have learned to stand firm, to be focused and determined in our beliefs here on this podcast. So I hope that uh, that you will check out the Astral Realms Crystal Oracle. And I hope that the reading was supportive for, for you and your listening pleasure this year. So... On to other things. One thing I discovered just recently, I was looking up new podcasts on Spotify and I recognized they give us the ability to rate podcasts now. So if you are a Spotify listener, which I know that about half of my listeners mostly get their uh, get their podcasts on Spotify, you can now rate the podcast. So please five stars, please, pretty please. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for being here. I never even bothered to introduce myself, just assuming that everyone's come back. But if this is your first time listening, my name is Sarah Bueno, and we have amazing conversations on this podcast with folks who maybe identify as healers and maybe they don't. And it doesn't matter as long as you're doing healing work. That's who I love to talk to on this podcast. So let me introduce you to today's wonderful guest. I'm very excited to have made another Instagram friend. His name is Moin Subhani. So Moyne is a registered psychotherapist, and as a therapist, he's compassionate, creative, and playful. He completed his psychotherapy training at the Gestalt Institute of Toronto and is a lifelong student of Eastern spirituality. So please have a happy, happy new year and enjoy our conversation with Moyne Supani. Moyne, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Nice to be yeah, here. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to know you today. Likewise, I've been looking forward to this. Yay! And I don't even remember how I found you on Instagram. You probably posted something that was connected to a hashtag that I follow. And I was like, hmm, this cat looks interesting. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and then I discovered your account and it's hilarious. Oh, so, yes, I think we started liking each other. Yes. Therapists unite on Instagram. Right. Yes. Hashtag therapists on Instagram. <laughs> Would you like to tell folks a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing in the world? For sure. So my name is Moin Sapani. I'm a registered psychotherapist, a practicing therapist in Toronto. I have a full practice. My practice focuses and works a lot with people of color. So they make up about 70% of my client load. I work with people of color, recent immigrants, children of immigrants, even first, second, third generation, because the immigration is an impact that can be felt for generations. So that's the focus of my work. As I was telling you earlier, I am currently living the digital nomad life. So even though my practice is based in Toronto, I'm currently abroad and I'm talking to you from Mexico. That's so exciting. I love that we can do that now. <laughs> I know it's one of the, the benefits of the pandemic. Well, I, mm -hmm. I shut my office down and was working remotely. And then I asked myself as winter was approaching, what am I doing here mm. <laughs> in Toronto? So I did this last year. I spent winter in Mexico and I'm back 
can I come? Because I, <laughs> as winter <laughs> begins in Chicago, I'm like, hmm, that sounds delicious. I might need to do that. Yeah, I think you understand what I mean by the winter. So, yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. Well, would you give us your therapist origin story? Because I always think those are wonderful and exciting for listeners to hear about. Mine is actually a bit exciting. <laughs> and it has quite a span, actually. So the modality I've been trained in that I work in is Gestalt psychotherapy. And the story begins in 1997. <laughs> the year I graduated so, high school. <laughs> <laughs> so I can tell our age difference already. <laughs> well, at the time, I was in university doing my undergrad in philosophy and... Okay, good. You're not like 12,000 years younger than me. No. <laughs> so I was in class, in my philosophy class, and a professor who was sort of a mentor to me or was a mentor to me came into class and in his sort of goofy style said, gestalt therapy is the answer. And this was a man that I really trusted and looked up to. So I put the answer in my back pocket. And I was like, okay, mm. I know what the answer is. And I sort of held on to that. And fast forward to a few years later, I finished university and I was living in downtown Toronto. And literally down the street from me was the Gestalt Institute of Toronto, a training place for the answer. Wow. And at the time, I couldn't bring myself to even walk up the steps of the building that had the answer. So I was sort of mm. like, I knew where it was and I avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would go on their website and I would sort of, you know, check them out, but I couldn't bring myself to even investigate. Fast forward to my mid thirties and I just finished a tarot card reading that told me about finding emotional and body healing. And I was walking through my neighborhood that I'd lived in for a while. And all of a sudden, I saw an advertisement for a therapist who worked in Gestalt, talking about healing with the mind-body. And so I was like, ah. <laughs> yes. So my resistance at this point in my mid-30s had really shifted. So I took down her number. She's still my therapist, actually. Oh. And I started working with her. And it was profoundly changing. I worked with her very closely for about two or three years and she rocked my world. And a bunch of coincidences started happening and my workplace, it turned out my director, who was another mentor type for me, was enrolled at the Gestalt Institute. So suddenly it was like coming at me from different angles. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, now it's time. So yeah, I found my experience with Gestalt therapy absolutely life-changing. For example, I had wrestled with coming out to my parents for a very long time. And three sessions in, I came out to my mom. So wow. it was just very powerful for me. Mm. And so after three years of working in the modality, I really just wanted to understand what was being mm -hmm. done to me. I really just wanted to understand the toolkit that my therapist had used. And so I enrolled in the, the Gestalt Institute their program, finally being able to walk up these stairs that I had clocked almost 15 mm, years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And so it was a five-year program and it was quite an interesting time for me. I went really deep into myself mm. via the program 
and I did other things. So I became interested in mm. shamanism, ayahuasca, plant medicine and such. And so the five years of my training was this really deep dive into myself. So you find me now. Um, I, I graduated from the program about two, three years ago. So yeah, I, I have a full-time practice. I left my corporate career and that is my therapist origin story. <laughs> wow. And before I ask you questions about you, could you tell listeners mm -hmm. if they're not familiar with Gestalt, what is Gestalt therapy? And I also would like to know how is it used in individual therapy? Because I've only known about it in group settings. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's a lot of things. And I can rant and rave about it for quite a while. For me, I'll say a couple of sort of just sort of introductory comments and then maybe dive in. Yeah. To me, very simply, it's applied Buddhism in one way of looking at it. By applied Buddhism, hmm. I mean in Gestalt therapy, we're concerned with the here and now always. Mm. So it's always looking at what's happening in this very moment. So mm -hmm. just as a very small example, a client might be talking about something and my redirect always is, all right, so, you know, you're telling me this incident that happened, you know, last night, five years ago, whatnot, but how does it feel in this moment yes. to tell the story? Yes. And it's a very somatic-based approach, a very body-based approach. So we're interested in what's happening now, but not necessarily from a mental level, though, you know, it's, we pay attention to that, but it's what's happening in your body. Mm. So in Gestalt, we say, lose your mind, gain the senses. Mm. So it's understanding, um, not necessarily through the mind, but through sensory experience, through awareness that's beyond the mind to be aware of what's going on. Yes. So for me, I often tell my clients that it's emotional intelligence 101. So it's beyond just being thinking, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling mm -hmm. angry which is an important place to begin, but this is a very cerebral construct, right? Right. To me, it's actually to go deeper and get my client to inquire and experience what is your sadness? How do you experience it? How do you experience your sadness? Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's moving past I'm sad to my heart feels broken or it's to move past I'm feeling angry to my blood is boiling. And as the client is able to get so specific, and that's work in itself, the remedy for me starts opening up. So if I right. know that your heart feels broken, then I know where to attend to, where to put the mm -hmm. band-aid, if you will. Or if your blood is boiling, what a powerful metaphor, and then we can, we can do some work around that, right? Maybe you have to boil and you know, express yourself, or maybe you need to cool down. But either direction is sort of becomes clear now that I know what's going on for you. Mm. So for me, it's emotional intelligence 101, but from this really body-based somatic place. And the second the way I describe Gestalt to my clients and the way I work with it is Gestalt has a belief that your shit will arise in the therapy setting with the therapist. So that thing with your mom, that thing with your partner, that thing with your coworkers will all start happening in real time with me. Right. And so my job becomes to attend to, ah, <laughs> you're doing that thing. Right. Um, it's happening here, right? So that problem with your lover, you're recreating here. 
And so as it gets recreated, for me, my job is to pay attention to how it's happening and then become playful. So the hallmark of Gestalt is the experiment. Hmm. And so in the experiment, we play with your shit. So, <laughs> Not literally, people. Don't get weird. <laughs> Metaphorically, of course. Right, of course. Your metaphorical shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, for example, if a client has trouble with shyness, and then I'm seeing it happen in real time, where they have trouble mm-hmm. making eye contact, I will invite playfulness. So, hey, I see it's happening here. I, I notice you're having trouble looking at me. And let's play with this. So it might be an invitation. Don't look at me. Mm-hmm. Go really deep into this manifestation. Or it can be, hey, see, what does it take for you to look at me? Mm-hmm. And so I can be playful from both ends. And in this playfulness, the hope is to give a cl- the client an experience of awareness of their shit, of its functioning, of how it operates. And so that when they're out in real life, they now have a choice. Do I want to keep doing this thing that mm-hmm. I do? Or do I want to do something different based on the experience I have? So mm-hmm. I tell my clients, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you experiences and you can play accordingly. Mm. And finally, for me, an aspect of Gestalt is taking into account sort of the multi-layered nature of sort of what's happening in in the therapy office. And Gestalt literally, so it's a German word that means the everything. And Mm. there's no quite English word for that. Mm -hmm. So that's why the creators stuck with the word Gestalt. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a person of color, this applies to factoring in what it means, regardless of my client's background, whether they're white, person of color, man, woman, trans, queer, straight, is to ask myself, all right, how is their identity, their lived experience at play here? How am I contributing to it? So for example, it might be with when I have a female client is to acknowledge I'm a big brown guy, bearded. And to start, you know, I might make that explicit or in my head even just start asking questions as to what's that play between us? How does our history arise in this moment? And I might keep it just as a therapist notes, or if we have the, the relationship to make it explicit and to see what arises from making such a thing explicit. And it's always yielded really powerful results, especially with my female clients. When they start acknowledging myself being a man, it opens yeah. a whole fucking can of worms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, as you're talking about this, I'm hearing a lot that relates to so the modality that I've been into as of late is NARM, the neuroaffective relational model. And the developer of that was like a trained gestalt therapist and somatic experiencing therapist for many years before developing NARM and that the embodied quality and also the applied Buddhism where you're getting the external observer kind of online about the experience. It's really the same. And I'm thinking... I've had conversations with friends about specifically like all of the stuff that's going on with us grappling with racism and all sorts of things. But the modality to me feels like it's almost it's hard to describe this in words, but it's almost like underneath racism and sexism and homophobia and all that sort of stuff 
And I'm hearing that with Gestalt too, that it's not like we don't address racism with NARM or with Gestalt. It's that the modality can sit underneath and we can then put in anything we want on top of it and support people in working through that in the room. Absolutely. For me, it's a tool. And to me, the tool is based on how I use it. Mm -hmm. So for example, even in my training program, which was, we were 20 folk and there were three people of color in the program and it was predominantly made of white women. Mm -hmm. And so in my training experience itself, racism, race, sexism, all came up. And so Mm -hmm. Gestalt, the, the very thing I was being trained in became a tool for me to start addressing and to even address my classmates and say, hey, Racism is arising and alive in this room itself. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a very powerful tool. I'm interrupting this awesome conversation to share about an upcoming opportunity for mental health professionals. You asked for a group for mental health professionals, so I'm giving you just that. In our lifetime, it's never been more challenging to be a mental health professional. Our jobs, our clients, our communities place various demands on our energy and our spirit. But in order to offer our best, I believe we must take care of ourselves and do our inner work as well. As wounded healers, we're called to attend to our own recovery and transformation in order to support the healing of others. Wounded Healers Virtual Group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. And we'll be meeting Monday nights starting March 7th, 2022 on Zoom. And we currently have a discount for current contributing Patreon members. For more info and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg-1. Now back to our conversation. Building on that, you know, you talked about you really being able to do your own work as a result of this training program. So I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about what showed up for you. You talked about, you know, coming out to your folks, anywhere you want to go with that. What was your, your own working like? I'll start by talking a bit about one of the things that I took away was really what Gestalt helped me and the other investigations I did, like I said, working with plant medicine, et cetera, Mm. was, to really learn to embrace myself. Hmm. So growing up in the society, especially as a brown person, queer, it was hard for me to sit comfortably in my skin and love myself. So there was a place that I shrunk, that I was afraid of my power. So Mm -hmm. working in corporate settings, I was aware that as a brown man that I was intimidating coworkers. And so there was something about having to shrink and make myself Mm. smaller than to show up. And so one of my things in my training was to really learn and be comfortable with that I might intimidate people. Mm-hmm. And that's their problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as you're not walking around like an asshole, which I'm already guessing that that's not what you were doing. <laughs> no, exactly. And to be really comfortable in myself. And even to say, like, even that, you know, in terms of being an asshole, I don't, I'm not an asshole. I don't see myself as an asshole. But to be aware that in our society, that 
certain behaviors even get, you know, are okay for some people and not okay for others. So in the corporate environment, you know, the cliche director who's white, blonde, can walk around and say all sorts of offensive things. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) and get mm -hmm. away with it right it's this is a cliche that i'm sure you've encountered Mm -hmm. via your clients hr always knows about him and he Mm -hmm. has a license to walk and talk this way and so for me my work is to claim and understand that i can also take up that type of position yes and there's something about showing up in that position from a place of love yes i think transcends yes how you know the cliche guy that i'm describing shows up yes yes (laughs) so as you're talking about this that's some work that i'm really working with right now is recognizing how and a lot of mine was family of origin stuff how when i allowed myself to step into my power as a child or an adolescent or as a young adult the message that i always got was you're hurting people by doing that And I love what you said about stepping into it with love because we can be powerful and unapologetic without being aggressive, right? And that's that's the binary, I think, that we, because that's what's been modeled, right? And I don't want to say, you know, just bullshitting on white men, but people who have power in the world, let's just say that, the people who have power in the world often have modeled a more aggressive, rigid, unyielding, uncooperative stance with that power. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What I'm hearing from you, which I feel as well, is power with, not power over. Yes, I love that. I love that. And for me, this is really interesting contradiction that we find in the West. So here we are living in this world created by the descendants of colonizers. And there's a particular violence that goes with that history. And, you know, the white exec that I was just describing is sort of the current manifestation of that. So here we are with this current manifestation of that. And at the same time, there's this ironic contradiction that in the West, there's this deep discomfort with anger. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's this almost... I'm from Canada, so we have this different sort of variance of being polite. (laughs) But yet, when we look at our history with the First Nations, with the Indigenous folk, Mm -hmm. it belies something else, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this contradiction of pretending to be nice, polite, uh, hiding anger, and this real history of violence and anger that shows up in this disturbing way. Mm -hmm. In contrast... When we look at other places, the Middle East, where my family's from, Pakistan, anger shows up in this very different way, where people are quite comfortable Mm. with anger and expressing it, right? Like, if I'm fucking mad, I'm fucking mad, and I'm going to fucking tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just not cool here. Yeah. So to me, that shows a cultural neurosis that we've inherited. Mm. And when I talk about my own personal growth, I think I was really, it really deeply had swallowed that in, that I'm supposed to be this nice person, particularly at looking at South Asia, the colonial legacy there, where there is this sort of stereotype of the accommodating Indian man who, Mm. you know, puts his hands together and says, hello, sir, how can I help you? Mm. And so to me, in my exploration of anger and having a healthy relationship with my anger, 
was to really turn that around and arrive at this place of, as you were saying, being with versus against somebody. And so I can be aggressive and I can be, you know, even in my therapy, I'll admit to my clients that at some points I might even come across cruel to you, but there's a compassion in my cruelness. There's a playfulness in it that my clients can always see, which makes it qualitatively different. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm thinking about, as you were talking about your relationship with women that you were working with in the corporate world, and I can only imagine what that must be like to have this cultural understanding of anger being natural and healthy, I'm guessing is is kind of what you were describing. And then a white woman coming in contact with that. And again, just at the binary of the way that white women are socialized, we are also not allowed to be angry, especially women. And that mm-hmm. anger equals like pain, really. I'm just trying to think of like my own perspective with it. And what a, what a mind fuck, <laughs> right? For you to try to navigate that in the face of, of course, like white women can easily be like, oh, he's so mean. He said he was angry when literally just saying I'm angry. Like there's no emotional content in that. That's just making a factual statement. Exactly. And even in the handling, there is, you know, these passive aggressive ways mm-hmm. of dealing with anger, right? Ugh. Which to me goes back to sort of these strategies that the descendants of colonizers use that are still at play. Yeah. And to me, it's to acknowledge and to move away from my own vantage point when I have, say, a white woman sitting in front of me. It's to begin to have empathy and compassion as to the origin of this and how it began, Mm -hmm. right? And when I look at the world through her eyes, because that's what I'm doing as a therapist is for 50 minutes, I try to see the world through your eyes. And so it's to understand like you said, how hard it is to swallow anger and to keep Mm -hmm. it inside. And so it's to work with my clients to challenge them to discover how can you express your anger and discover its power. Because to go back to sort of, you know, Gestalt Therapy 101, from a Gestalt perspective, we feel or we say that all emotions and feelings boil down to four. Joy, sadness, anger, and sex. Sex is a feeling too. (laughs) (laughs) and so all four feelings are healthy functions of the body Mm -hmm. and so my job is to help clients connect with what is the significance of your anger what can you learn from your anger and so typically when i embrace my anger i encounter boundaries because anger is a way of saying fuck you're getting too close or you're making me uncomfortable you're violating me step back Right, And so when I start really getting comfortable with this, and it doesn't necessarily have to become foaming at the mouth, you know, pulling out your sword, uh, but it can be an awareness. <laughs> I hear it coming out of the sheath right now. <laughs> Whatever works for you. But it's about when I start learning and paying attention to what my body is saying, I can start creating healthy boundaries which we know is what women really struggle with, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of having healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. Well, because we weren't necessarily allowed to have any because we were considered property in many ways to our partners as well, historically. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, power has been 
coming up for me all over the place. It's really been like the last four years and my relationship to power in organizations, my relationship to power with people of color, my relationship to power as a woman, as a queer person myself, all these different ways. And are you into astrology? I am. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, so the shifts that are happening astrologically that are calling, is this Pluto doing something, right? Digging up like all of the history of why our societies are the way they are. It's just fucking fascinating to me. Yeah, I think we definitely are in this time of reckoning. And specifically for me, because I'm from Toronto, to me, specifically in a city like Toronto, though I'm sure this applies in the American context in Chicago too, but in a city like Toronto where there's this huge collection of people from across the world mm-hmm. so with this huge immigrant population, the city itself becomes chickens coming home to roost. It Literally, history is resolving itself, addressing itself, as people just interact and people aren't even aware of it in the sense of, you know, for example, interracial relationships. So mm-hmm. the, the likelihood of being in an interracial relationship in the city like Toronto is extraordinary just because of the population. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you have two people of different backgrounds in a relationship together, history is actually speaking to itself through the couple. And even a conversation like this, right? Here we are meeting with our varied histories. And to me, history is speaking to itself. Mm -hmm. And I remind my clients, especially the ones of color, that in a city like Toronto, we outnumber them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so this again is history addressing itself, making itself known. And, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take. I think it's begun. I think this work will be going on beyond my lifetime. But because we're looking at, especially when we look at the legacy of slavery, our practices, our history with indigenous people, colonialism, we're looking at things that are 500, 600 years in the making. So (laughs) I don't think it's going to resolve itself in 10 years, 50 years. The, The ball will keep rolling. But to me, there is something about the story of colonialism, the story of indigenous folks. I don't know if you're paying attention, uh, or I think similar things are happening in America with the discovery of bodies of children from mm-hmm. the so-called residential schools. Right. And so, you know, you can't bury, <laughs> you can't bury history. Right. I did a presentation with a friend of mine, Sarah Suzuki, hey, hey, what, what, um, last week. And it was on, so we focus on addiction and it was about anti-racism in the addiction industry. And there was a, a man there, he was probably in his 70s and black man. And he said, when I went to grad school, I think it was the 70s, he was in grad school. He said, we had to take a class at the beginning that was about you know, racism. And then we had to take a class at the end of grad school that was about how do we integrate what we've learned into practice. And he said, your presentation today on one hand makes me really happy that we have this in conventions now and and seminars, but it also makes me sad because what have we been doing for the past however many years since he's taken that course? Because (laughs) so many white people haven't been ready to hear it. And he also said something that made me think, at least in terms of the United States, the, the civil rights movement of the 60s, 
the product of that, the way that we decided to address racism was colorblindness. Everybody's equal and how that also set us back, right? So it's so interesting that every step along the way at the time, I'm sure makes sense for where we are. But as we look back, we're like, well, that was a fucking mistake. So I I actually wonder what are we doing right now that is not helpful? I don't know. That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it, but I don't know. I'm just pondering. (laughs) To me, to answer sort of a different way to go, not with what we're doing, but to me to talk about what I was exposed to and how I work Mm -hmm. is to really look at the intergenerational aspect. Historical memory, which is what Americans specifically lack. So that, yes, keep going, please. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll share just a powerful experience I went through in my training. On one weekend, we invited to an elder and a Gestalt graduate who works with the Indigenous community came and they spent a weekend focusing on Indigenous issues. And the weekend was called Decolonize Your Mind, just Mm. to give you a feel. Yeah. And we did this very powerful experience that I sort of replicate at times or really informs me as a therapist is we imagined the First Nations experience through the generations. So we had Mm. six people line up and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one person was pre-contact. The second person was uh, at contact, so on, so forth, until we came to the current generation of the time period we're living in. And we were then asked to sort of reflect in our bodies how we felt having had a crash course lesson in history from the elder. Mm. And the person who was representing current time collapsed onto the floor. They couldn't stand up and they Mm. were on the ground because Mm. they were now bearing the brunt of, you know, this genocide, this invasion, this Mm. land grab. And so, of course, when we look at the First Nations and addictions, et cetera, their story, or when we move now from sort of the macro to the micro to a client who's having mental health struggles, an addiction issue, or whatever, X, it suddenly makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, this exercise works regardless of the context. I've recreated this with my white clients. And very interesting thing, and I don't necessarily take it back to six generations, but I have a couple of times. It can be, sometimes I'll just be like, let's just go four generations. And so very interesting things like World War II come up. Right, right. And so my clients then, they'll usually have an aha moment. They're like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. I knew about this, but I never considered how my grandpa going to World War II is affecting me today and my parenting issues. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I've seen that exercise done in the context of addiction And I'm like visualizing it right now, the times that I've seen it done. And that as you were describing the last person collapsing, like that's what I hear from so many clients who identify with any marginalized group is that I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, especially when we're working with marginalized groups and we acknowledge the tiredness it becomes usually the first time that even my client is understanding this. They might have Mm -hmm. had a shadow understanding of this, right? Mm -hmm. But growing up in our society with sort of capitalist overtones, you're supposed to rise above. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I'm supposed to do better now. I'm supposed to get over it. And so just getting the client to appreciate their struggle and to have respect, mm-hmm. to acknowledge it becomes a battle. It can be this very aha moment. It's like, oh my God. I had one client say, oh my God, this is what intergenerational trauma means. Yes. Well, and the unwinding that has to be done from the linear thinking of capitalism. I'm so glad that you mentioned that in particular because that shows up when a client comes into the room and they want to be fixed by us. That is this desire for linear progress that is not true. And if we go back to more indigenous practices or Eastern practices, there's a recognition of cycle that we just don't like we need to rewire that part so that we can be with what's happening instead of try to get over i love that i love that you mentioned cycles and you know referring to sort of some other work that i've done i had a teacher that once said to me this work takes lifetimes yes and i'll repeat this to my clients plural and you know i say whether you know reincarnation is real or not to me, is actually beside the point. Yeah. To me, it's a very useful just thought experiment. It's just not one go at the can that I, in fact, have to come back many, many, many times. Yeah. My understanding is just from sort of my curious uh, reading of Buddhism that the Buddha, you know, yes, he achieved enlightenment in that lifetime, but he had many lifetimes <laughs> preceding. Mm-hmm. And so just to acknowledge that, that, you know, this work is complicated. Mm. Well, I'm curious on that note and all the work that you're doing with your clients, would you consider yourself a healer? I thought about this question. Yeah. Knowing where I was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we get that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) May I still be a little bit complicated or a bit nuanced, as is my style. in school. We had this sort of came up and somebody said something about, aren't we healers? And our teacher or the teacher at the time laughed Hmm. (laughs) and said, I don't think of myself in such lofty terms. And that really stayed with me because I was like, but I am a healer and I'm training to be a healer. But now he's my supervisor, so I'm still in contact with him. And I understand his humbleness with Mm -hmm. that answer. To me, actually, even going back to how we led up to this question with a nonlinear approach, I don't see myself as a healer. I see myself as somebody providing just simply an ear to people. Mm. And yes, I have a fancy toolkit. I've learned some techniques and, you know, I can do things. I can rock your world. But at the end of the day, what I'm doing is listening to you and sitting with you and being with your story. Mm-hmm. And the byproduct of that is yes. some healing happens. Mm-hmm. And Typically, my client is responsible for their healing because something happens in being able to share. That's the byline of my practice is you don't have to suffer alone. Mm. So there's something just very powerful about sitting with somebody and sharing your story. And that's where our suffering happens that I feel I can't share it. I can't tell. And I think just going back to like full circle to my beginning, my challenge is going to the Gestalt Institute or looking it up and 
you know, avoiding therapy for so many years was this belief that I couldn't do it, mm. that I had to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And what this work really taught me was that it happens in community, that it happens with people. Now, I do think there is something to the archetype of the wounded healer, and I do identify with that in the sense that my wounding in life prepared me for this work. My therapist once said to me, you know, for therapists, their first client was their parent. I just threw up all (laughs) over the place. Oh, fuck you. Oh, my God. Talk about an embodied response. Embodied with vomit. You are so right. And I hate it. (gasps) I am so uncomfortable. Go on. That's my cruel compassion just to take. Yeah, right? (laughs) So, and we can feel the discomfort, right? I think you're sharing with me and I get it. For me, that rocked my world when my therapist said that to me. And so, yes, it's this, our wounding, which makes us try to be with our parents in this particular way. It's when we first started practicing this part. Um, and then we went on to you know school and learn boundaries <laughs> right right and then it's actually not our job exactly yeah that was just i got taste in my mouth now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean literally everybody in the mental health profession right now is also throwing up along with me going oh my god that's so right yeah <sighs> So we've been preparing for this work, right? We've been preparing for Mm -hmm. this work. And I think there is a certain type of person that's drawn to this, that feels this compassion, this willingness to sit in the chair. And I think, yeah, that we've been training from time. Wow. Got to fan myself after that. Yeah, I'm having a hard time recovering, but... (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just thinking in, in the essence of time, to wrap up, is there any little... I mean, we can't really put a bow on intergenerational trauma and racism and all that. But in terms of our conversation today, is is there anything you'd like to share as we wrap up? I think just even sitting here with you and just taking in that reaction and just even noticing myself, mm-hmm. I feel I feel riled up having talked with you, mm-hmm. having shared with you. I feel activated. And whoever's listening, whenever you're listening, I imagine that we've conveyed something to the listener that may hopefully activate them too. And I think this is healthy. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, your visceral response to that comment, my own, I'm I'm sure the listeners could tell that I was, you know, getting lit talking about race politics and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. hopefully I got you lit listener to listening. And to me, there's a magic in that, in that, you know, Feel your response, feel mm-hmm. how it's making you get activated. And like you said, in the interest of time, we can't quite put a bow on it. And even I think if we had another hour, I'm not sure if we would be able to. Right. <laughs> and it speaks to the times we're living in. We live in fucked up time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's been fucked for a while, but, you know, race politics, sexual politics, gender politics are so active, so igniting as they should be. Because when I'm ignited, when I'm lit, when I'm activated, now I can move to action. And Mm -hmm. so I think 
our responses are healthy and should be honored. Yes. Ugh, I love that. Well, I'm just delighted to know you so much. I find it really funny that I can just like see a couple pictures on Instagram and just look at somebody's website and be like, yes, you're my people. I knew it. I knew it for like in five seconds. So would you share with people your social media handles and your website, how people can get in touch with you? Because I do have a feeling you're going to be hearing from some of my listeners. For sure. So on Instagram, you can find me at Moin Therapy, M-O-I-N underscore therapy. It's Moin Therapy on Facebook also. And my website is MoinTherapy.com. Amazing. Well, I hope we can stay friends and hang out in Mexico one day. Come on down. I'm here till I'm here for the winter. So yeah, come on down. Let's tan. Okay. Well, I don't tan. So that's my cultural history. I remain as pale as possible. Thank you, Irish Roots. Um, but yes, I'm going to buy my ticket right now. We can definitely stay friends. Aww. I feel we've definitely got something good. So thank you for having me on your show. Thanks for reaching out. It's a pleasure coming and talking and sharing with you. Wonderful. Thank you, Moin. Thanks so much to Moin for being today's guest. To learn more about Moin Supani, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder in the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Happy New Year! Mm-hmm.